water, earth, fire, air. Welcome to Bending the Elements. A production by the Novice Elitist Podcast. With your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. podcast about all things Avatar. Welcome back to Bending the Elements. Uh, This is episode one, the first proper episode. Although in this one, we're actually going to be covering the first two episodes, not just the first one. We're going to be covering book one, chapter one and two, The Boy in the Iceberg and The Avatar Returns. Which was presented as a pilot in the day. I remember that. Oh, it was? Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, it was one of those events, an hour long event, as it were. Well, I mean, they'd still treated it as like, you know, separate episodes, but it was like at least when I was watching on YTV, it was considered a pilot. Yeah, we we talked a little bit about our experience with this show in the previous episodes. So we'll just kind of jump right into this particular episode written by our two series creators, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Kanitsko. Kanitsko, yes, Kanitsko. And, of course, directed by someone who went on to much more claim than he had at this time, which is Dave Filoni. Yes, that's right. The Dave had the Dave was the director of this episode. Yeah, and I'm curious to see because I didn't pay attention much to the writers or directors when I was going through this uh, previously. So I don't know how much Filoni worked on this show, but it was uh, nice to see his name there. I think he comes back like for a few episodes, but uh, we'll get to those later. Yeah, but uh, do you have anything you want to say about these two before we jump into it proper or just head right in? Us, a good, it is a good pilot and a great setup for the series. And I think actually a good tone for the at least book one. Mm, yes, that's a good tone right off the bat. We'll definitely discuss that because, yeah, I think they handle tone really well here. Some people, I think, don't like this first not don't like i think they are a little turned off by this first book and how like kind of low-key lo-fi uh the tone is throughout this is like okay and you have to like get all the master all the elements before Sosan's comet comes and <laughs> and before ozai fries the whole earth i i don't know i i liked how you know kind of low-key it was because it's almost like a road trip uh season yeah and i'll i also i also love the tone for this first season i like that it's a little bit more laid back but I'll quickly just restate our little uh, mission statement for this show. I'm not sure if I'm going to do like an intro that just has like a pre-done intro that I always include here. Yeah. But we're going to try not to spoil anything more than what's in the episode that we're watching at the time. Of course. If you're a new viewer, you can come along with us and you won't have to worry about uh, spoilers. But we will have a stinger section after the episode. And we'll have all the spoilers for the rest of the show and probably for Cora as well. Uh, in that stinger section so if you haven't seen the rest of the show or that other series don't don't watch along after the credits or listen along (laughs) but jumping into the episode here the boy in the iceberg chapter one we start with an extended little uh what would you call it title sequence intro sequence whatever you want to call it yeah title sequence there you go yeah we start with the extended version of the opening sequence Katara tells us about the old days when the Avatar kept the balance between the four nations, but all that changed when the Fire Nation attacked, as we'll hear 
over and over again throughout this show. Yeah. Sorry. Up front, Japan didn't like uh, the show. They like Korra, but they didn't like this show. Was it kind of the, the fact that the Fire Nation was uh, the villains? Heavily or? based off of uh, imperialistic Japan, yes. Mm. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. I think I think some audiences are okay with it in Japan, but like maybe some of the hardcore fans were just like, ah, not really. Not feeling That's it. That's fair, especially considering this is so anime-inspired. I could see why it might tick some people off. And let's not forget <laughs> about like China with... Uh, the Earth Kingdom, but again, that's sorry for later. Um, and only the Avatar could have prevented the Fire Nation from steamrolling everybody else, but there was a problem. I don't believe that. I think honestly, a, a nation more if, if all the nations actually no, they couldn't. What am I saying? Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm just quoting Katara here. I'm not necessarily agreeing with her, but <laughs> I, I don't want to be that fan that points out everything like wrong with like oh he like all the other nations could have done it. It's like no, they were the Fire Nation is industrialized, so. There was no way that non-industrialized uh, nations could take them on, even by sheer numbers. Yeah, and, and of course, I think they're more meaning like kind of a mythical element of the story where there was this big imperialist nation. Only if this one person who could bring all of the elements together could bring like balance back to the force, you know, that kind of a story. Yeah, basically. Basically, immediately setting up the kind of Star Wars uh, dichotomy, the Empire versus the Return of the Jedi type thing. The Rebels. Yeah, but there's no rebels at the beginning of this show. That's the the cool part. Oh, yeah, there isn't. I guess I shouldn't spoil. But I was going to say, just on a little bit of a production note before I continue with this intro, um, I love all the still images that we see during this intro here. Just kind of going throughout the nations and seeing all these little beautiful little shots. I think there's some really nice art here. Yep. But yeah, our old buddy, the Avatar, he'd vanished, and so he wasn't around to halt the Fire Nation just rolling over everybody. And 100 years after the war, it's reached all the way up to the southern uh, water tribe, Katara's home. The Up to or down to? Well, <laughs> down to, I, I don't I don't know. Um, and her father, uh, at this point, her father and many of the men of the village were forced to leave their homes so they can go and join the war. Which is why when we get to Katara and her brother Sokka, there's no one else to look out for the tribe except for Sokka. And Sokka's a little bit of, uh, I mean, how, what's a nice way to describe him? Ryhard, <laughs> I guess? Yeah, a little bit of a, a screw up, but we'll, we'll get into it. He thinks highly of himself, but his skills need improving. Yeah, he's got a lot of spirit, but not a lot of talent is, uh, I guess, a good way to describe him. Yeah, exactly. But before this little intro, or should I say extended intro, ends... We get a little bit of insight into Katara's outlook on the world. She mentions that many of the more beaten down folks in this time period believe that the Avatar was never reincarnated into his next line, and they're just left without any hope. But Katara, she still thinks the Avatar will one day uh, reappear and bring balance to the Four Nations. Indeed. Or as she says, uh, what does she say at the end of all the other ones? Uh, Bring balance to the Earth? No, bring balance to the world. No. (laughs) We'll figure it out. Yeah, I guess when we get to the second episode. But anyway, yeah, like I said, I just wanted to quickly comment on the beautiful animation in this sequence. But apart from that, I also wanted to mention the music, which I'll definitely bring up throughout this episode because I think there's some great music at the start of this show. But this intro has some of the best. Jerry Zuckerman, a great composer he is. Yeah, big kudos to that guy. Just great. Especially when we get to Korra. Some of the music in Korra is just out of this world great. Indeed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, book one, chapter one, The Boy in the Iceberg. But yeah, I'll just say when I was reading these notes, I got so pumped 
writing out even just that intro, I was like, oh man, it feels so great to finally be here. Mm -hmm. But jumping into the episode proper, we get a real introduction to Katara and her brother Sokka. Sokka! <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> no, it's actually an intentional joke. I, I, I wrote it in my notes and then I was like, wait a minute, why did I write Sokka? Oh, golly. And I was like, oh yeah, I was making a joke to that stupid movie. Oh, golly. <laughs> All right, well, it's Sokka the rest of the show. That's going to muck me up. Oh, no, this. no, no. Yeah, and the Avatar. Well, that's what we'll call him every time he shows up. All right. <laughs> Ong. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, the two of them, they're out on a, a little boat doing some fishing. Are they the only ones who provide uh, the food for the village, do you think? I mean, it's all like old people and kids. I think it goes in shifts. Sokka, he's just poking at the water with a spear, and he's not really, not really getting anywhere. But Katara takes a different tact, and she decides to try out some of her waterbending skills. They don't mention it for a while, but she's the only... A waterbender in their village or even in their entirety the uh, south pole i think they say in the southern pole there's no other waterbenders and there's a reason why but we can't we can't go into it right now look into that <laughs> but unfortunately because she's even successful she manages to capture a fish and almost bring it to the boat but that silly old Sokka, he hits it with his spear and then splashes himself with water and he gets all mad we find out that Sokka isn't a waterbender and not only that he has a pretty negative view of benders which, you know, maybe comes from the Fire Nation taking over everything. Maybe that's why he has a negative view. That or maybe sure. also because he wasn't blessed with waterbending as a kid. So maybe some jealousy going on. We don't, I don't think we ever get that in, well, again, maybe later on. But with one episode in particular, I got to rewatch it to refer my case. But there's, there might be something there. I don't know. But I think I'd like to mention that this is the, maybe not the only place, but at least so far, I think this is the only place that mentions magic that's a whole other point of contention of whether or not what's in this world is magic or it's chi slash key and i heavily want to mm. go with key but that's just me yeah it's like not so much magic it's just the connection that people have with the world is different whether like the way they connect with the elements well no there is magic in chinese culture so i, I can't deny that but i haven't looked up my chinese culture magical culture recently but as far as I'm aware, at least with English magic, there were oftentimes is a need of a sacrifice, an equivalent exchange, let's put it that way, and a ritual to perform that stuff. And these guys are not performing sacrifices nor rituals as far as I'm aware, so not exactly calling it magic per se. Oh, this is more like the tact they took with Doctor Strange, where it's just you naturally tap into elements and you have to find ways to channel them. Well, yes and no. Yeah, yes and no, because yeah, they don't really have to find a way to channel and they can just naturally tap into them it's just honing the skill now when you say dr strange do you mean mcu strange or in like comic strange obviously uh mcu strange oh, yeah the other one Oof. is not at all that way <laughs> not a good example i mean you've okay. seen that movie <laughs> once but but you know what i mean i mean that's that's essentially what they do i didn't like that movie <laughs> yeah but that doesn't mean it I mean, maybe that means you don't remember what they did. But. I guess not. And also, maybe it's a, a reference that the kiddies nowadays can understand. <laughs> wow, how condescending to uh, MCU fans. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, as they're, uh, as they're doing their fishing, they happen to get caught up in a current. And this ends up pretty disastrously for them because their boat gets destroyed. And they find themselves stranded on an iceberg just down in the middle of nowhere. A good action scene, I'll say that. Or at least an action scene, pardon me. Yep, well animated. A little bit of uh, excitement early on. At least with the first season, I know you'll, or first book, pardon me. I mean, 
Okay, other than like that one animation studio, I think there's almost no like off frames here. So these first two episodes, at least really good uh, animation, I think, of course. But yeah, the two, I mean, they're in a pretty bad state of affairs and they start to argue, maybe just stressed out about the, you know, pretty hopeless situation that they find themselves in because how are they going to get back? It's hopeless. And uh, before everybody asks, like, oh, how come Katara couldn't, you know, just bend a water, uh, bend the water current? I okay, I want to spoil, but I can't. Uh, but like, right now, let's put let's put it this way. Right now, she's not strong enough to take control over a current. Let's let's put it that way. Yeah, and that, that's actually that's a little bit of a point of contention because she's actually pretty strong, as we see in this scene. She's having an argument with with Sokka. And um, as she's having the argument, she ends up just pulling up a whole bunch of water behind her and smashing this giant iceberg. So she's pretty strong. She just has no ability to control it is the uh, the real problem, which is going to be a big thrust of this episode. It's either she's emotional and that's what's causing the disruptions in the water or I think I think it's both, actually. Yeah, I think when she's really emotional, she can almost tap into it more. Like tapping into the dark side, and in fact, sure. that actually is a point of contention with uh, with, well, again, I I shouldn't, I don't want to, dang, it's so hard not to spoil stuff, but let's just say another <laughs> another um, bending style kind of is like that as well, where if you tap into your emotions, you can get bigger results, but not always better. Interesting, yeah, and yeah, if if you want to spoil, you can. We I'll just clip that stuff out and put it in the end. Okay, well, for actually, yeah, I guess, uh, but yeah, so she cracks this giant iceberg behind her. Um, and a huge glowing piece appears, and uh, hidden within it is the Avatar. Well, we yeah, yeah that's fair. Uh, interesting, <laughs> like scene though, because when watching it, I saw that the scene sort of almost shifted. Like the ice, there was ice behind them, and then in front of them. But the scene beforehand, I don't think there was any ice. Could be wrong. Yeah, it was weird. Oh, uh, right after they came out of the current, they were like surrounded by all these little icebergs. And then suddenly they all disappeared, and that's when I was like, "Oh yeah, now they can't even escape." Yeah, before they could have just ran across the broken ice, it's like but... <laughs> barren wasteland of water, and you're you're stuck in the open sea. It's like, nope, there's still ice around them. It's like, okay, well they're safe. And then all of a sudden, like these ice blocks form up, and it's like, what the hey? Uh, yeah, then she takes uh, Sokka's spear and just starts, you know, whacking it, and all of a sudden, yeah, we see you know, kid in the iceberg. Well, first we see something in the iceberg, and then we see a boy in the iceberg, and she cracks it open and. There's the kid in the iceberg and uh, what appears the, I, I assume this trope was being used beforehand or I, trope slash cliche now, but trope in the day of uh, giant beam in the sky. Yeah, I was going to make the joke. Uh, what is this? Any Marvel movie <laughs> or Skyline? Do you remember Skyline? Uh, wasn't it also, well, it was a beam coming down from the sky, which was in Independence Day, but I, I guess that was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't count because that was a laser beam, so it, it shouldn't count. Yeah, I don't remember if it was a laser in Skyline either now, but yeah, definitely the. I seriously don't remember Skyline. Actually, I have to look this up now. Yeah, Skyline, it like came out. It was during that big like sci fi renaissance in 2009. It was like District Nine came out. There was Skyline. There was um, Moon. There was uh, Avatar. It was like a big year for sci-fi. Two thousand. Yeah, I don't Skyline remember this movie terrible. whatsoever. That like went. Uh... Hey, here's <laughs> an idea for what we could do in Novelist. Sure, it's a terrible movie. It's really, really bad. But it was part of the what I thought was a little sci-fi revolution at the time. But... Is it sci-fi though? It's action sci-fi. Let's be perfectly real here. It's not actually hard thinking. Hey, anything can be sci-fi. That's the 
<sighs> I prefer the more sophisticated <laughs> stuff, but that's just me. Oh, but here we are derailing again. Get used to this, folks. We this is the novice lead us. We just derail constantly. But Segway City, but that's already taken. And are off topic, but that's also taken. <laughs> Getting off track podcast. Uh so the guys with the beam in the sky. Yep. But we cut away from that beam because unluckily for our group of potential heroes here, there was another youth exploring these frozen wastes. Prince Zuko, scorned son of the Fire Lord, has been searching for a way to get back into his father's good graces. And to do so, he set his eyes on finding the lost Avatar. He's got one vessel and his uncle Iroh along for the ride. And he happens to see this giant Marvel uh, blue light shining up. So sets him on the case. He's not the only one that saw the uh, beam in the sky, but some nearby uh, sea leopards, I believe. Or seal leopards, pardon me. Yeah, I couldn't remember what those are called, but I like seeing that. They look cool. Yeah, again, Chimeric Beasts. Great. I, I wish there was more plushies of those. That'd be awesome to have. Oh, yeah, hopefully with the new studio, maybe they'll do like a big marketing. Oh, push. it's going to be like just merchandise overload. It's going to be like Disney for pit sakes. Like you have you have all these creatures and you can have like put tons and tons of them and make so much money. But whatever. Could you imagine if this turns into the new Force Awakens for you? You get so hyped and then you just completely turn on it. I hope that doesn't happen. It's not going <laughs> to happen. I think I've I've learned my lesson from that. It's, That's I, fair. I'll at least try to remember what I had with that before, but. I mean, hey, they haven't they haven't announced a Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind TV series yet, have they? No, no. Which, by the way, you have to get back uh, on I, that. Yeah, reading that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but Prince Zuko, he, you know, he's getting real pumped about that light, and he's like, "We gotta go investigate this at once. I got nothing else better to look at. That's my only lead." Voiced by the wonderful, always wonderful Dante Bosco. Yes, who's wonderful? Yep. Uh, but Iroh tries to dissuade him. Want to just sit back and drink some tea and play with his tiles. Uh, do you know what game he's playing, by the way? Well, first of all, I don't see a White Lotus nearby. I think the White Lotus is actually on one of them. Oh, wow. And I just watched it. So I don't... <laughs> actually, I think it is. But anyway, uh, it's probably a I want to say like most games in fiction are based off of something, at least in real world modified, obviously, so it looks otherworldly, but. I assume he's playing some form of like, I think, I feel like it's not solitaire, but it's something similar to solitaire, but like maybe the, I don't want to say there's a Chinese version for everything, but like whatever the, a, a perhaps Chinese game of, of cards. That's fair. And this is a good setup for Iroh because this is the role he's going to play basically throughout the whole show. Like, ah, uh, or at least the first two seasons, just like, ah, oh, now let's just sit back and relax. Don't worry about all that stuff. You're getting too uppity. Of course. Also voiced by the wonderful rest in peace. Mako or Mako. Pardon yes. Me. Very sad. I forget his last name, uh, but Zuko, he, he's not having any of that relaxed talk. And he's like, no, let's get to, let's get to war here. Oh yeah. He said something about, uh, have some calming Jasmine tea. I don't want no calming Jasmine tea. <laughs> Yeah, sets up the uh, the relationship right there, and also, uh, yeah, what kind of character he is certainly. Yeah, we'll definitely get back to that in a couple scenes here. Yeah, we cut back to um, I was going to say Team Avatar, but it's not Team Avatar yet. Pre Team Avatar, and we have uh, Aang climbing out of his frozen tomb, looking a little bit worse for wear, and uh, he asks Katara to you know come close to him. He's all like like he's going to pass out. I would say he's more just like. I guess he's worse for. I think I feel like he was tired, but okay. Yeah, worse for wear. I mean, like he's just like exhausted a little bit. Yeah, and he yeah uh, asks. I was gonna say Cora <laughs> asks Katara to come in close, and then he completely switches gears and asks to go penguin sledding with him. 
Yeah, and I just want to point out, I love the little bit of humor with Sokka pointing him with the spear. And Aang just kind of absently just waves it away. Yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, so Aang goes to try and wake up his trusty old pal, Appa the Air Bison, who has a very uh, Totoro type of appeal, I'll just say. The cat bus. Yeah, especially in this scene right here where um, he like sneezes. And that was making me think a lot of that scene with, uh, was it May? Was on Totoro's stomach. Oh yeah, with May, with little May on his on his his stomach. Excuse me. Yeah, I can't remember if it's like a burp or just a, like a yell one. <laughs> uh, I think a but yawn. Yawn. There you go. Yeah, there's a scene in here that really makes me uh, think of that moment that I think they were trying to ape a little bit, but, but yeah. So uh, Ang sneezes and flies up in the air, a signal to our two water tribe folks that this young tattooed dude is actually an Airbender. Uh, which seems to uh, surprise them both for some mysterious reason that we'll find out later. Oh, yeah. Sorry for interrupting. I don't know where to put this, but I just remembered the original premise for this in that it was supposed to be a lot more kind of like a Final Fantasy game uh, in that it wasn't even like the Avatar, but he was going to be still like this guy who could or this kid who can control air. But it was a lot more, there was a lot more, I think it was a little more Ghibli as well, where there's a lot more machinery integration in the world. Like, by, uh, Appa was a mechanical beast instead of, you know, the air bison. And I don't know if Aang had some a mechanical staff instead of what he has now, but I think Momo might have been there as well. Uh, spoiler character, sorry. Um, <laughs> but instead of a hundred years, it was either a thousand or ten thousand years he slept and then woke up. And so that was like the original, original premise, apparently, that Brike had or one somebody had uh, in mind for, which is like, I kind of want to see that. That would be an interesting idea to see where that would have gone. That'll be their sci-fi uh, take. He'll wake up and it'll be like completely different. Uh... <laughs> like this is pure fantasy, uh, a pure fantasy series, which is awesome. And that would have probably mm-hmm. made it a little more um, uh, what's science, science fantasy. But anyway, sorry, continue on. Yeah, so Aang happens to notice that these two look like they're pretty stranded here, and he offers to uh, give them a lift back to their little village. And so they head back, but by floating rather than air, because Appa hasn't quite recovered yet, you know, um, so he needs to, uh, can't quite make it into the skies yet. No, does is he's about to, and does a giant billet, well, not before <laughs> he sneezes, well, both guys sneeze, actually, I think, and I, I think, this is a little weird, I just thought of it, it's because it's a different uh, altitude and or a different kind of air, I think. So they're not used to the salty air, perhaps. And so they sneezed. Uh, so first, yeah, I just realized, yeah, Aang sneezes first and goes in 100 feet in the air. And it's like, whoa, what's this about? And uh, she's like, oh, you're an airbender. It's like, yeah, that's what I am. Because Aang is not exactly uh, aware of what's going on. Let's put it that way, as it seems. And then uh, Appa also, I guess, readjusts to the environment around him. And, well, his uh, his senses or his... his ah, sinuses. Thank you. His sinuses. His sciences uh, go off and lives out a big old loogie right at Sokka. And it's like, oh, don't worry. It comes out. It washes out. Yeah, but I just wanted to point out one more little scene as they're uh, heading off to the village. There's this one little bit where Aang is uh, just smiling back at Katara. And Katara's like, oh, like, why are you smiling at me? And he's like, oh, I was smiling. Uh, there's a little touch of awkwardness there. But I thought that was a little nice little uh, tiny little bit of setup for a potential future romance <laughs> between them. Set up and or just 
Aang trying to like act all normal, like everything is fine, nothing's going on, it's all right, nothing uh. again with the current situation. But anyway, uh, pardon me, yeah, uh, uh, Appa tries to fly and ends up belly flopping, and Sokka's just like, wow, riveting. Yeah, so we cut away briefly back to Zuko and Iroh, and we get some hints about what I mentioned earlier about uh, Zuko's intent in finding the Avatar here. Um, Iroh says that the search is pointless and that generations of their family have failed trying to find him. Or generations of his family, pardon me. Yeah, but Zuko sees this as the only way to regain his honor, so that's why he's uh, going after it, even though it seems like a bit of a lost cause. But back on the floating bison, Katara gets a little curious about the identity of this mysterious airbender, and she even asks him if he knew the Avatar back home before he was frozen, but Aang denies it. Aang, at this point, we get a cool little dream sequence about his air voyage that got him trapped in the ice here. Actually, uh, fun, funny part about that, of like, oh, I knew him. It kind of reminded me of, of the scene in, in episode four where Luke's asking Obi-Wan, like, oh, yeah, did you know who Obi-Wan was? It's like, yeah, I, you know, I knew him. He's uh, not anymore, though. That's fair. <laughs> Didn't think about that connection, but yeah, I can see that. Yeah, And then he just turns away and is like, <laughs> pulling at his collar. It's like, Egh. is he getting hot in here or what? Yeah, but during this little dream sequence here, we get kind of an interesting moment where he crashed into the water and suddenly his eyes turn all blue and he finds himself uh, creating what looked to be either some sort of oxygen bubble or maybe he was bending the water around to freeze. I wasn't entirely sure what he was doing with creating that little ball that he sees himself in. Uh, an air bubble. Air bubble. Yeah, that's what I that's what I thought maybe. But then I was like, well, they are frozen in the middle of it. So yeah. Did he freeze the air? I wasn't entirely sure, but um, I, well, his the avatar state. Uh, well, mm, sorry, I guess you know, can I call it that? I don't know. Um, yeah, I even wrote in my notes. I'll just say I said, "P.S. We're going to try to keep things relatively spoiler free," but I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say this is the first appearance of the avatar state. Yeah, it's the first appearance of the avatar state, uh, and I actually spoilers his first use of the avatar state. Oh, interesting. I didn't remember that detail. Yeah, that's mm. the first instance of him being able to go into the Avatar state. And it's a very reactionary uh, life or death situation uh, in that he was drowning. And so it kind of gave him a second wind and or kind of took over for him when he lost consciousness and created an air bubble out of his uh, current surroundings. Uh, and I guess he also f- in the either... Th- the avatar state knew that there was an ocean around ang or them excuse me and it just so happened that the water froze and they didn't do anything about that or just we're not saying that it was intentional to like freeze themselves but yeah we'll definitely get into what the avatar state is later on in the series but we do see it again at the end of the second part and it's doing the same thing where it's kind of um almost possessing him to react in order to save him from a situation kind of like katara not being able to control her power it's almost like it just flows through him self-preservation almost but this is yeah I, the avatar state being a little different yeah a little different but so ang wakes up in the village and for whatever reason katara seems to notice his tattoos for the first time which i thought was a little bit strange yeah but she introduces him to the rest of the village, and we get a nice little bit of casual uh, world building during this scene. Yes, we do. Because Katara's grandma tells Aang that they all thought the airbenders were extinct until he was found, which Aang looks pretty shocked about. But they very quickly move away from that by jumping back to humor. 
as the grandma gives herself a very deadpan introduction with some like slide whistles or something. I wasn't sure what that uh, was. <laughs> Sorry. I'm watching a lot. I'm watching the episode. <laughs> so I got to the part where he's yeah, got his tongue stuck to his glider. Yeah, I was about to say yeah, the same part of the we also see his new little functions of his stick here. His glider, as what it's called. I, I got that wrong beforehand, but it was his glider. Yeah, he takes off doing some aerial tricks, but we see that he's a little bit of a klutz too, which is one of the charming features for him. Well, I wouldn't say he's a klutz. I just think he's kind of showing off a bit as well to the kids and, and, and wowing them and even some of the women as well uh, for Katara. And obviously, Grand Grand and Sokka are not having any of it. They they just have... Sokka has a... Well, yeah, they both have angry faces on their being and it's like, ah, fair enough. Which is very interesting from what Shyamalan did where the grand grandma was actually a little more... Uh, proactive let's put it that way in at least sending the kids off to do their own thing i'll i'll say that part spoilers whoops um yeah but we'll, we'll see that this grand is a similar way at the end of the the second yeah, episode but right now so. she's kind of a stick up the butt right now yeah yeah but how do you think they balance the tone here i mean they're kind of delving into some more serious stuff with talking about his whole basically race going extinct and then they immediately jump over to humor. They drop, yeah, they drop the line like, of the airbenders are gone, and he doesn't know that. Uh, and he's either denying it and just like, nah, they're fine. Especially when we get to, you know, I think was it episode three, we'll we'll see. Yeah, he's in total denial. He he's barely registering what people are telling him at this point. Yeah, it's a little like one ear out the other. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like it's too much for him to comprehend, and so it just doesn't even connect it just passes right through not just that but it's it's it, he doesn't realize he's go it's been a hundred years yeah exactly nobody else has done this before so of course he's just gonna be like yeah sure yeah but um so continuing a little bit into that scene Sokka lets it slip that Katara is a waterbender and we see that Katara has her hopes set that he'll be her teacher to kind of help her hone these skills that she clearly has but doesn't have any way to control at this point at least not well and I like the little bit of uh, comedy juxtaposition with her saying that he seems like he has all this wisdom. Yeah, and then we get that shot that you mentioned with him getting his tongue stuck to his staff there. Yes. Yeah, and I do I definitely enjoy some of the lightheartedness that we get in this village scene. I think there's a lot of kind of humorous yeah. scenes. But um, getting away from some of that lightheartedness, we cut back to Zuko and Iroh. Yeah, Zuko himself is getting some some training. Yeah, the guy who has a bigger stick up with his butt. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and he's getting some uh, firebending slash combat practice, and Iroh gives a little bit of an insight to the nature behind bending, saying it's about moving energy in the body and naturally extending it through yourself rather than just like forcing it like you would at like stretching a muscle. Yeah, and also the first instance too uh, of of showing us firebending as well, and the kind of how the martial arts work in the show. Oh, yeah, that's fair, yeah, except for the little bit that we saw in the intro. But, yeah, it's the first time seeing it in combat. Yeah. But, yeah, and, and uh, so Iroh's trying to tell Zuko that he's impatient. And Zuko just proves him right by immediately demanding that he move him up to the more advanced techniques rather than focusing on the basics. Trying to justify the fact that, you know, they're not knowing that Aang is, you know, 12 years old instead of 112. It's like, oh, he's got 100 years to him right now. So he's just like insane yeah exactly like insanely over leveled overpowered so it's gonna take me so <laughs> like i need i need all the advanced lists and even then it's like zuko you have no chance 
<laughs> but it's just that drive, man. That's uh, that, that drive that of, of just wanting to find him is, is what's keeping him rational and not level-headed right now. Trying to get back to his family. I mean, he's out here on his own, just in like exile. Well, you know, again, trying to get, get his honor back to his name or bring honor back to his name. Excuse me. Yeah, very Japanese in that, uh, in the style too. I can definitely see why, <laughs> why the comparisons are there. I mean, he's but... got that, uh, I forget what that, but he's got a ponytail. It's not, I forgot what kind of, what, what it's called, but I, I do like that. I forget too. Funny that I just realized that him and Aang are both like bald the first season, or at least, yeah, Aang is bald. That, I think somebody, I think actually Breck mentioned that later on, but it's funny that both of them are bald except for like one part of Aang, of, of Zuko, of course. Yeah, there's definitely lots of comparisons that we can draw between the two of them as the series goes on. Yeah, of course. Um, but cutting back to the village, we get another comedy scene with Sokka trying to train a bunch of kids to be warriors because, again, all the men have left the village at this point. But Aang almost immediately disrupts it, trying to play with the kids, and he makes this joke because Sokka's like, who needs to go to the bathroom? And they all put their hands up, and then Aang has that joke about everything freezes in the bathroom. Yeah. And then he uh, shows them how to use Oppa's tail as a slide, and he's just all over the place. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'll, I'll give him this. Like, he, <laughs> Aang wasn't trying to. It's just that he just came out of the bathroom while the kids had to go as well. And so, unless that was, like, their excuse because they knew he was in there, but... Maybe. They do seem to have a bond with uh, Aang just immediately. Well, again, he's closer... I'm mean, not closer in age, but he's got that childlike sense of wonder to him. And these kids are also, like, they've only known... They're not in war, pardon me, but they have, they know that war, they're living in war times, basically. So I think they, and especially in a, in a much more socioeconomic uh, stance of, of being in the low part. I don't even know if they're, because they're they're not homeless, because they're they're all like self-sufficient, basically. Yeah, and and removed enough that they don't quite see the, the damages of war, except for having lost all their male parents. Exactly. Yeah, and I love the the scene where Aang just goes firing off because he sees a penguin. He wants to get over to that penguin sledding you mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. And I also love the bit where he says he has a way with animals and starts doing that stupid little penguin walk and imitating their voice. And just books it, like, straight to there. It's great. And also another explanation, not an explanation, but another example of, like, what airbenders can do in that they have, because they literally can control the air, air resistance means nothing to them, which is awesome. Yeah, and he's just so charming during these scenes, just such a fun presence. But Katara comes over and offers to help him catch a penguin if he'll help her to learn some uh, waterbending skills. Yes. And she explains that she's the only waterbender in the entirety of the South Pole, which we mentioned. And so uh, he's the only option that she has for a teacher, because even though he's not a waterbender, he's at least a bender to some degree. I mean, she highly, like, hard, highly suspects that he's the Avatar, but... Yeah, of course. It's like, oh, yeah, you have everything. You you know everything. So it's like, uh, not really. Yeah, I don't know if, if she even really suspects. Maybe she hopes, but I don't really get this. The Except for that one time when she asked if he knew the Avatar. That's the only real uh, implication that we get that she was even thinking about the connection. Yeah, it's true. Um, but in response to her offer, he says that he'll take her to the North Pole to find a proper waterbender teacher. And so, uh, yeah. you know, she's a little bit concerned at the prospect of leaving her home for the first time. But either way, she helps hang out with his penguin problem. And she tossed him a fish and all the penguins come uh, marching in to get it. Yeah. That was cute. <laughs> she is an animal tamer. Let's put it that way. But so is Aang. Aang's totally an animal tamer. Hey, he's got his way with them, you know. I think it also has to do with, like, it's part him, but also, I, I spoilers, I think it also has to do with the Avatar as well, since it connects to all life. So the mm-hmm. Avatar kind of is almost empathetic 
to to all life in a way. Oh, it's pretty rude of those pangos, though, not to be uh, immediately attracted to him as the Avatar. They're trying to run away. Uh, that's fair. But he's grabbing on them, so. <laughs> uh, maybe the Avatar spirit comes and goes. I'm just, you know, speculating, guys. <laughs> um, but but then we get a fun little sequence of them sledding on these poor little penguins. Um... Just that, that music, though, was really nice. It was very bouncy, very active and energetic. I, I, I loved it a lot. Yep, yep, perfect for that little sequence there. And I think it gets reused a few times as well uh, later on in the book in book one. Yeah, I thought I I thought it came back. Uh, I guess we'll keep an eye out for it or keep an ear out. I should say yeah, exactly. Um, but their fun gets interrupted when they stumble upon a crashed Fire Nation ship that Katara says holds some very bad memories for their tribe. But Aang doesn't really care, and so he decides to go check it out anyway against Katara's wishes. Yeah, it's forbidden for her to go in there, and it's like ah, screw the rules, go in there. Yeah, even though she warns him that there could potentially be some Chekhov's booby traps hidden in there, he still goes in anyway, and they go check it out. Emphasis on the traps. And it was during the exploration of this ship, uh, seeing all the weapons and really having to kind of face the reality that, oh, this really is a Fire Nation ship. What's it doing out here? And it finally sinks in for him that he's been in the ice for 100 years and has missed out on a lot. I also want to say that I love the scenes of the ship. Uh, that just the, the, the walking around, it's really nice. Yeah. This is going to sound so stupid, but it was giving me some vibes of, uh, in the thing when they go investigate that older, uh, Norwegian base. Oh yeah. After it's in ruins, it could just be cause they're both snowy, but <laughs> I, that's, that's fair. I was also thinking of alien as well. Like we don't obviously see a, uh, mm. That's funny. Uh, we don't obviously see any eggs, but the idea of just the suspense and like nothing being there is what makes it all the more scary and atmospheric. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was also giving me some vibes of the abyss too, but I know you haven't seen that, but eventually, <laughs> but um, unfortunately after this realization, it's followed up with an unfortunate mistake because one of Katara's proposed booby traps uh, ends up getting tripped and a signal flare is fired into the sky. Oh yeah, and they go into a, they go into the cockpit. Actually, they go into the main deck of the ship and go over a trip wire and locks the door and it sets off a mechanical uh, apparatus and a flare goes up. And who sees the flare, my good friend? But the scarred or the the, the burnt man himself. Yeah, Prince Zuko. Yeah, and even worse than that, he spots uh. With using his little, uh, what would you call that? Telescope? Yeah. No, not telescope. <laughs> I forget what those ones are called. The, uh, oh, what are they called? Do you remember? Oh, magnifying glass? No, a telescope's probably good enough. Eyeglass, maybe? Uh, Sp- spyglass! Spyglass, I think that's right. Yeah, he spots Aang using his airbending abilities to escape, signifying to Zuko that he's finally found the Avatar. And that's how we end the first chapter. Indeed. Yeah, so what'd you think? How do you think this worked out as the first uh, part of this, this two-parter here? It's it, for first part again for pilot again. It's pilot, so of course you're gonna uh, do well. It's it's enough setup and enough characterization. I think uh, we're put into this episode, which is nice. And oh, it's 2004. I kept it, oh, what the hey? It's it. Sorry, I was just looking at the end of the episode and it was like it said 2004 on it, and I was like oh. Okay. Well, it was released in February uh, 2005, so yeah, pretty soon. I guess, yeah, pretty, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think the, they got the world building. It. It's funny that that was like, you know, only 20 minutes, and it was like they got enough in there, which was nice. Yep. 
yeah, they packed it full. Set up the characters well, set up the mystery for this second part well. Um, I guess not just the second part, because they'll continue to expand some of these mysteries as we go on. Yeah, of course, there's they they have a lot of there's yeah there's mysteries in here there's a lot of questions to be asked and answered of course not everything of course by the end of the series is answered but not enough to like make me dissatisfied i'll say that at least me personally excuse me yeah but you gotta wonder what's ang you know i don't know if they really like they kind of because we see the map initially we kind of see the setup of the world like what's a air nomad doing all the way out here in the middle of nowhere flying around 100 years ago what caused him to flee wherever he was yeah Especially because he didn't know about the war at that time. Yep. So. Well, yeah, no. How did he not know about the war? What's going on? What will we see? Minorly, will we ever see the the, the men of the water Southern Water Tribe again? Will. Yep. Uh, yep. Will Will Katara learn how to become a waterbending master? <laughs> and will Sokka stop with his jokes and or stop with his uh, stick up his butt? It's actually funny. Sokka's not the... And will Prince Zuko capture the Avatar? <laughs> Tune in next time on... <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, okay. Or Z, excuse me. Uh, what were you saying? Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> uh, just, I just realized that Zuko actually... He is certainly uh, the, the smart Alec in the show. And it was some deadpan snarking st- stuff like that. But he actually isn't as funny in these first few episodes than he is towards the end of the series. Oh, no. Yeah, he gets a sense of humor once he's humbled. Right now, he's still he thinks he's like this elite warrior and he's being in a horrible spot of uh, kind of embarrassment. So he's got no time for humor. I guess uh, as they travel the world and he starts seeing the other cultures and or the other peoples around, it kind of maybe like pops that bubble of his like inflated ego and then like he's like, oh crap, I gotta fall back on something. What do I do? What do I do? Uh, uh, humor. There we go. Uh, so I'm just gonna be as deadpan as I can to everybody. Oh, did I say Zuko? I also meant Sokka. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sokka is, yeah, kind of a... Yeah. I thought you were talking about Zuko, but yeah. I guess it happens with both characters, though. Uh, it does. for both, but yeah. I think, I'm pretty sure it happens for both of them. Yeah, I feel like Sokka it takes a bit a bit of a while because, yeah, he's... um, I guess in a similar way to Zuko, he feels like he has so much weight on his shoulders, he can't really have time for humor. He's got to be the man of this whole village. It's all down to him. Yeah, but we'll get into the, in the second episode, but I feel really uh, I guess we'll just get into it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, and with um, keep in mind, we were also, I think, still trying to find voice for a lot of characters, like certain characters came off very easily and were written quite easily, just like Yang is the avatar, he's the protagonist. Here's what his mission is. And we have Zuko we have taken a little while longer to figure out, but he has a very good arc as well or has a good character to him. And then Katara and whatnot. I think Sokka might have been that as well, where there was, uh, but maybe they plan plan that out beforehand. I don't remember. Yeah, we'll 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 get into the second episode, and because I I think I, we might see Sokka a little bit differently in this initial part. But uh, but moving on to chapter two, the Avatar returns. Uh, we start with the regular opening sequence again that we'll see for the the rest of the series, which I love this opening sequence. By the way, I I. Just think it's great. I think Mae Whitman does a great job delivering it. I think the music's excellent. And I think it's a good little introduction. Without the extended one, I think it still encapsulates everything well. Yeah, we, we get the regular opening sequence that we'll get for the rest of the series. And um, yeah, that I love Mae Whitman's uh, job delivering it. I think she does a good job and that they I really like the music in it. Yeah, what do you think of some of the bending styles done here? Um, I, I like it. it. It reminds me of, um, what does it remind me of? some hong kong flick 
uh, just doing those moves in that kind of void space. It might be the 36 Chambers of Shaolin. Probably. Maybe. I'm trying to think of which movie I, I saw, but I, I'll try to think of it as we go along and I'll reference it when I, whenever it comes to me. But <laughs> Yeah, of course. Um, um, so Sifu Kisu was the uh, stunt, not, martial arts consultant, excuse me, on the show. And pretty much all through this and into uh, Korra, I'm, they, and as we found out in our uh, commentary with uh the last airbender it was not sifu kisu was not brought in to uh help do any of the martial arts for the movie which kind of blows but that's just me and as for other characters in the title sequence we have master jeez i don't remember uh, the northern air t- or the northern water tribe uh master who is sexist towards katara this is in the spoilers well, we can and yeah, well, I was gonna say we can probably get to this these characters when we meet them, but <laughs> uh, well, because we don't meet, we never meet the Earthbender because that's you think that's the one would think it's the Boulder, but it's actually supposed to be the original design for Toph. Oh yeah, I forgot it was supposed to be a dude, and we never yeah. meet the Airbender. So, I mean, mm. we meet the Firebender. We know who that is in the next season, or sorry, at the end of this book, but. Yeah, it was, just, it was just a nice. I, I like the demonstration of the martial arts, basically. Yeah, it, it looks cool. I, I love with the uh, again, like a void space that they're in with the. <laughs> it's just a cool, uh, cool way to start the series, and especially with her saying her, uh, you know, fire water or <laughs> fire water. What's the order? So it goes water, earth, fire, air. There you go. Wait, no, because it, yeah, it goes in order of the elements and of the Avatar cycle. So I think it's the last one, and then when we get to Korra, it's it's then Earth, Fire, Air, Water. Oh, that'll be fascinating if they do one where it's the Earthbender. That's the uh... well, that's what I'm hoping for, man. Where it's gonna be, it would then be, uh, Fire, Air, Water, Earth. Fire would be really cool too. Huh. But anyway, um, be interesting to see what that becomes like. But and, and also the line was, uh, but I believe Anne can save the world. Yeah, yeah, I, I turned it up so I could hear that. <laughs> No, but since I forgot to mention the first episode, uh, let's talk a little bit about the voices behind our main three here. Yes, let us. I kind of briefly mentioned them, but I don't know if I did a good job of explaining them. You have the research more than I do. It was just uh, Bosco, I think, that we talked about a little bit. So I'll just scratch him out. But <laughs> Yeah, briefly mentioned Mako. Uh, but I guess since I already mentioned uh, Mae Whitman, we can just start with her. So, yeah, she'd been in the acting game for actually quite a while at this point. Um, she was working as a child actor and live action stuff as well as voice acting for like almost 10 years at this point. Yes, she and uh, I think it was around the same time. I don't remember the exact years, but it was around the same time that she and Bosco did the uh, Jake and the Mer- the American Dragon series and uh, on Disney X or Disney cha- on the Disney Channel, excuse me, uh, where she was in a secondary character in that, whereas he was the lead character. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that came later. Though. Oh, it must have come later. Never mind. OK. And I think it was just a coincidence that they both were cast in that, if I am remembering correctly. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know any details about the, the casting. But yeah, because before this, she'd mostly just done a, like one-off bit parts, except for she played the co-lead in a series called Zeta Grace in 2001. Do you remember that? Do you remember that, that show? rings a bell, Zeta Grace. I don't... Or uh, State of Grace. I might have acquired uh, a little bit. State State of Grace. Oh, State of Grace. Okay, was that a live action show or an animated? A uh, live show? action. All right. What's the premise? I think it was something to do with the government. I, I don't remember the uh, details of it. I only saw it a, a very occasionally. But um, 
I mainly know it through a second actress that was like the co-lead with her who was in um, Arrested Development. She played Maybe in that series. Okay. And it turns out that Mae Whitman actually appeared in Arrested Development frequently. I just forgot about her character. Oh, was she but... in the, um, I don't know what the reboot is called, but the season four on Netflix? I don't remember if she showed up when it came back. Okay. I, I don't remember seeing her, but I might just not, not have noticed. Well, as I said uh, to you off camera, or off recording, excuse me, we do not have, she does not reprise her role as the president's daughter in Independence Day Resurgence. <laughs> Which I forgot that you've mentioned, yeah. Quite a disappointment. <laughs> well, she probably, uh, it's probably better off. Fair enough. Uh, but she was also the regular on Johnny Bravo. She played Little Susie, which I think uh, came out before Avatar did. Way before. Yeah, so she, she'd she already had a bit of a career. Uh, but both, uh, fun, fun fact about that, both uh, Butch Hartman and Seth MacFarlane worked on that show together. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Huh, interesting. Uh, but, but post Avatar, I mean, she's gone on to again. Just she's working all the time. She pops up all over the oh, place. Oh, and also fun. Another fun so. fact is that with with Seth MacFarlane, uh, Michael Dante DiMartino actually directed some uh, episodes of the first few seasons of Family Guy. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah, so just bringing that up. So that that's relative. Excuse me. <laughs> She was in a movie called The Duff, which was probably the only reason I went in to watch it because I knew who she was. I was like, yeah, no, I know who she absolutely who she is, so I'm going to support her. And I thought the movie was okay. It wasn't like terrible. It was a stereotypical I don't know, teenage movie, I guess, with romance and stuff. Yeah, it was it was okay. It was okay. I don't know what it was like against the book, but like I heard the book was a little more, there was much more sexual themes in the book than it was in the movie, but I, I don't know. I'm just going off of what I read on stuff on the <laughs> internet. Excuse me. Didn't even realize it was based off a book. Apparently it was. <laughs> and there she's supposed to play a teenager, but like that was in 2015 and she's certainly older than we are. So yeah, she was born 88. Dawson, Dawson casting, excuse me. Oh, but getting away from her, uh, <laughs> we've also got, Jack DeSena as Sokka. Yes. Yeah, and he hadn't done nearly as much as Whitman. He'd been an occasional performer and eventually a regular on the series All That, the sketch comedy series. Yeah, All That. That Was was that Nickelodeon or something else? I think it was, yep. that was Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. Yeah, not, not a particular favorite uh, series of mine, but it is one that I saw frequently in my youth. Yes. Yeah, but... That was that was basically it before he got Avatar, and since Avatar's finished, his career's been kind of a blank for me. Like I haven't seen or even recognized almost anything that he's done, uh, except for the recent series that he did for Netflix with the head writer for Avatar, Aaron Azaz. Yes, Dragon Prince. I think it's Ehaz. Excuse me. Is that you say? I was. That's what. That's what I they they said in the commentaries. Sure, Ehaz. Yeah, that's a weird name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and our names are our last names aren't weird. <laughs> Yeah, we both got weird last names, yeah. Hey, there's nothing wrong with having a weird last name, you know? I've, I'm, I'm happy that I have a unique last name, but yours is more frequent. Let's put it that way. I found that freaking sign down in Seattle for Pitt's sake, so you, you exist more than I do. I'll say that. There's only, Wish I had a different last there's name. There's only 10 of us in BC for Pitt's sakes, and they're all related to me. <laughs> okay, sorry. Bake that nine. One's in Germany right now, back in the fatherland. How about, but what were you saying? Uh, uh Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was going to mention just, sorry, Dragon Prince, I shouldn't interrupt you, my bad. No, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I think he's, oh, that's what I'm going to say, he, I think he's a little more selective, I don't know if he's 
not trying to find work. I think he's just very selective with what he's going with. And he also, I think, might do stand-up comedy. I might be wrong on that. Obviously not like mm. any Netflix specials or HBO specials, but just, you know, one of those low-key stand-up comedians. Yeah, I also saw that he was the lead of a Hulu original series called Battleground. Oh, really? So he's definitely doing stuff, okay. but I didn't recognize any of it. I wonder if that's on Disney Plus now. Maybe. Might hope so, but anyway. Um, but lastly, before we finally jump into the episode, we've also got Zach Tyler Eason behind Aang, who was easily the youngest of the three. The other two were about 17 and 18, respectively, uh, while they're working on the show. But Zach was only 12, so... Or maybe even younger, actually. He might have been 11. I think he was our age, actually. I think he's our year, I believe. A uh, year before us, 93. Okay. So he certainly is playing... It's it's not Dawson casting there. It's actually... Uh, he's, he's playing the right age, which is nice for once. Again, not oftentimes you see that, which is what I certainly liked about the Peanuts movie and what I disliked about the Captain Underpants movie. And <laughs> that they actually cast... And they always do that with Peanuts, but they always... They, they cast kids to play kids roles and uh in the captain underpants movie they had kevin hart and some other actor i forget who it was uh as as the kids in that and i was like oh man i was kind of hoping for an actual like kids to play them but uh it dims the breaks obviously sometimes they have you know older women voicing kids or male kids because they can get their voices to get kind of that high pitch when us guys haven't like <laughs> I can't say that. Uh, when we haven't developed, basically, our voices have not developed. Pardon me. Yeah, but surprisingly for someone so young, he'd actually had a bit of a career up to this point. He, um, he now? had done a stint on Backyard Agains for 20 episodes. Oh, yeah, okay. Playing Pablo. Yeah, Pablo the Penguin, which I thought was uh, maybe that was the source of their penguin jokes in this first episode. Oh, probably not. Okay. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but we made a reference right there. But he also happened to work on the uh, television series Little Bill, which uh, my sister has watched often. Do you remember that series at that all? That wasn't the that wasn't the spinoff from uh, from from Fat Albert, was it? I believe it was okay. either a spinoff or just another Bill Cosby show. But it was a bit bit beyond us. We were too old to watch at that point because it was just for toddlers. But my sisters watched it. I think I watched that series every now and then if it was on. He wasn't the lead character was he he wasn't a little bill was he no no but he appeared on the show but That's fair but yeah ever since avatar he seems to have just completely left the industry so i'm not sure what he's doing these days yeah he did one other thing which was the um the ant bully movie i believe and that was it yep, the year after this show started I'm... oh but now uh <laughs> after that little bit of business well, actually sorry i just want to mention one thing about that is uh according to the commentary uh one of the commentaries of the episodes Zach was is based in New York and everyone else was based in uh it was based in LA and they always I I think other than the pilot I think he was always voicing Aang in New York. Mm. Yeah, that that's that, that's a lot. But I guess that's the nice thing about voice acting. It's a standard practice uh nowadays of of they they don't they they record it separately of course and a lot of down down in LA uh, in fact, a lot of voice acting down there is mostly done by themselves. And but of course, there are rare occasions well where everybody will be in the booth again. How how it works? Sorry, I don't want to get over this. But actually, an interesting thing if you don't know is if you know, you know. But if you don't, here's here's what's here, here's what it is. Uh, if you're if if you're gonna do a pre-existing show, which is prelay, no ADR, ADR, sorry, ADR 
Um, basically, I, I forget what it stands for. Uh, it, it basically, it's, that's mostly if you are dubbing another language movie. So from whatever language, from French to English, uh, then you'll mostly be by yourself and trying to, you know, fit as much of the text or of the sentence into the lift flaps because we're for some very odd reason us like caucasians or at least us americans slash north americans or at least americans and canadians are very anally retentive about the are are the words matching to the lip flaps it's so weird whereas other uh cultures just don't give a rip they they couldn't care less and Sometimes I, I don't mind that approach. It's why I can accept it with like certain cheesy Kung Fu movies. It's like, it's fine. You're not going to get the flaps to match. Uh, at least, at least give it a little, like be consistent or consider it a little. I'll say that. But with prelay, which is pre, I think exist, not pre-existing, but whatever it is for before the show happens, uh, before you've ever animated, they would usually bring everybody in and sit them all down or stand up and, they would all be in the same room together and kind of in a semicircle and they would just, you know, act the episode out, which is pretty cool. I'll say that. It is pretty yeah. cool. And again, rare is that done most of the time. Andrea Romano, uh, you know, who did the voice direction in this episode or in, in the series, excuse me, both this and Cora, wonderful, wonderful uh, voice director. She's amazing. Uh, I think she was often having all the cast in the same room together, which is, and stand and standing up, which usually if you stand up, you can kind of anim- be animated a little more. And they actually might take some of the animators might take some of those inflections as well. Some of those actions that you perform uh, in there. Sometimes it, it depends sometimes, but yeah, no, just a little fun little tidbit of, of information there. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Sorry for went on a tirade. Oh, no, it's all good. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, now that that little bit of business is over, I'll actually jump into the episode proper. So we start with Aang and Katara returning to the village after their whole, you know, screwing up with that whole booby trap thing. And everybody but the kids is pretty choked with them about the whole flare business. Yeah, no, uh, everybody has some not so nice faces on their uh, on their on their person. <laughs> Yeah, Grand Grand is pretty disappointed in Katara for going onto that ship. Very miffed. But Aang quickly takes responsibility for the mistake, which is a good move for him. Yep. Shows some uh, maturity. Yeah, he's not he's not the typical... I mean, again, this is a whole different culture in and of itself. Uh, he's not, you know, putting the blame on anybody else. He's not like, oh, I gotta duck out of here and put the blame on it. You're, you're right. doesn't redirect the, the, the blame or the consequences of somebody else. He takes, um, cons- accepts the consequences for his actions. Yeah, which the consequences are pretty harsh because old Sokka, I mean, this is exactly what he was looking for because he's uh, thus far not been much of a fan of this airbending avatar or airbending outsider, I should say. Needed an excuse to just like, you know, ream on him and, and send him his own way. So yeah, absolutely banishes him. And uh, yeah, which very much disappoints Aang's uh, childhood fan base because they all are real disappointed. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> even... Uh, yeah, Katara tries to dissuade her grandma to not stand with Sokka's more uh, dictatorial impulses in this case. Yes. But everyone just agrees with him, so Katara takes a more dramatic option, which is banishing herself along with uh, the Avatar. She's immediately like, nah, I'm just going to leave here, because it's not obviously the Bell thing from Beauty and the Beast, where she, well, yeah, she does kind of want something more in this life. She wants to go out and, and, and train to become a, ma- a waterbending master. Now, is that for fighting the 
uh, Fire Nation, I I don't know uh, beyond that, but I just I just know that she is certainly a small village girl in a you know small world, I guess, where there's barely anything to do. Since she, I guess, she just wants more out of life. Yep, exactly. She's got. She feels like she has all this potential that's just kind of wasting away here. Yeah, she's. She doesn't know anyone else who has any sort of abilities. I so. guess she's the. Wow, she is the Luke Skywalker of this. Of the, wow. Okay, they actually finally did it. They finally got a female Luke Skywalker in there. Nice. Yeah, that's fair. For those who don't know, uh, Luke Skywalker at one point was originally supposed to be a female. Which. <laughs> oh man, that would have. Uh, that would have been interesting. Would have changed a lot of the discussions about star wars today oh it would have man uh i forget why it was i don't think it was a sexist idea i i legit don't remember why i think it might have been because they needed a princess character and they didn't want to have two girls at one i maybe that's still sexist I'm, i apologize but probably I, still been cool would have honestly been cool i want to see that comic done of uh we take a lot of we just have luke as as the girl but anyway pardon me go on moving on yeah but um Yep, and he, he feels a little bit too bad about this whole situation. He doesn't want to kind of get in between her and her family. So he just decides that he's just going to take off on his own, and she's pretty pretty disappointed about it. All right, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take off for now. I accept my responsibility. And dissuades Katara for, you know, trying to join him. It's like, this is your family, not, not like, you know, I'm just you just met me t- this morning for pit sakes. Yeah, and I feel bad for him because clearly in this scene, he's still not kind of taken in the gravity of the situation where he's like, uh, oh, it's been 100 years. My room's going to be a big mess. Like he's such a kind of a kid mentality. He doesn't really even maybe maybe that's just a way of kind of deflecting away from the seriousness for himself, though. It really is like absolutely for the responsibility that he has as the well, spoilers avatar. Yeah. Uh, oh, but anyway, Sokka is just a, a big jerk here. Like he's mocking Appa that he still refuses to fly. <laughs> and some poor little kid. He'll he'll get his comeuppance eventually. Don't worry. Yeah, and some poor little kid comes all teary eyed up to Aang, telling him not to go. Yeah, that's nice. That's sad for our Avatar. <laughs> but Katara's grandma comes over and she tries to smooth things over a little bit. But Katara, she just ain't having it. And yeah, none of it. Yeah, and she's just choked that her one chance at finally, like, kind of building on being a waterbender is just left, and now she's got nothing. It's gone. Yeah, which which could come off as a little bit selfish, because she doesn't really actually seem to care about Aang as a person as much as what, what he could do for yeah, her. Yeah, what he represents, and she's not looking at the bigger picture, of course, but, I, you know, I, I get, it's a two-way street. It goes on both sides. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, she's isolated out here on her own, and she's really has no other option to kind of pursue this potential that she feels like she has. So exactly. I can understand that when you're like the only person that can do something, the rest of the village can't like, of course you're going to be asking like, yeah, I, you're kind of, I guess yeah, desiring a little more than what you have in the village, but that's just what I see. Yeah. And then we get this even more sad scene for, for poor Aang as he and Appa are just sitting in some ice beds and Aang's all sad and, Appa kind of groans and Aang says, yeah, I, I missed her too. Yeah. Or something like that. Or not even that. He says, uh, yeah, I liked her too. Liked her too. There you go. I, I knew I wrote that wrong, but. <laughs> Whether it that means like he as a friend liked her or more than a friend, I don't know, as a child, like a childhood crush kind of thing. But uh, well, well, I don't know. Well, she was a, a fellow bender and she had that. I mean, she went sledding with him. She has that air for excitement. I mean, spoilers, we don't really see any female airbenders of his age. So 
that's fair. <laughs> Maybe you know the the the, um, the hormones are are uh, flowing through him basically. Yeah, no, it could be as a preteen. We'll put it that way. He, he's at that age, you know, he's where he's interested in girls. So exactly, or whatever he wants to be, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and, and really, he's got nobody else right now too. So it's probably even just like uh, some sort of connection. Yeah, probably. Um, it's, I was even thinking like, how strange would it have been if Zuko hadn't shown up at this moment and he just went off on his own with Appa? Like, I wonder what would have happened to him. Let's see a comic on that. Yeah. And when are they going to start doing the what if, uh, <laughs> I mean, they could, they honestly could at this point, it's been, it's been close to 20 years, uh, and three years from now, but certainly it could be. Yeah. But, uh, Zuko does end up showing up. And so Aang heads off back to the village to, uh, do whatever he's going to do. There, Sokka, he's just getting suited up for battle. Yep. He's putting on some war paint, and he's getting his trusty little battle hammer, whatever it is, ready for smashing some heads. This is the only time, by the way, that we see um, straps and or um, uh, a string being applied. Not applied, ropes, sorry. Ropes being uh, tightened onto, onto everybody. We don't actually see that. This is, uh, again, even though they're industrialized, they still wear armor. But again, they don't have... If there's close range combat still exists because there's no guns in this world. I mean, there's still arrows and crossbows, I believe. I don't know if we actually see crossbows, but and thus we have armor needing to be put on and it's not full plate. I don't remember what it is. I mean, we see full plate armor at some point, but it's certainly not full plate. And what Sokka is wearing is not full plate either, but we <laughs> yeah, not at all. Certainly juxtapose <laughs> both uh, suit suiting up of the warriors, one who actually kind of did get a lot of training oh, spoilers did get a lot of training well we can, I, I assume we <laughs> sorry i have to remember to like kind of close my mind of like what happens <laughs> in the series but it's really hard it's it's really hard just to look at the whole big picture right eh? yeah it is hard but we but we've seen zuko training already so we know that he's got skills i'm surprised that he has a different helmet i think his helmet's a little more ridiculous i don't know if that's supposed to be like his prince helmet but i don't know if he would have one if he was exiled uh but it's a little bit ridiculous i i find rather than the uh traditional like foot soldier uh helmet i think that design's a little more better and actually is supposed to invoke uh a flame if i if you could believe it oh interesting yeah whereas uh whereas sokka has uh, ammo pelt as his uh what do you call it as his uh his ar- armor whereas zuko looks to have like nice battle garb i guess leather on there as well maybe hard leather i don't really know i'm not <laughs> i'm no blacksmith or oh, armor but... smith uh in reality i know that for a fact yeah but you really got to respect sokka here i mean even if he is kind of a big jerk He's got the weight of protecting the whole village on his shoulders, yep. and he's he's trying to train this group of kids to be his backup, but that's not really working out. So he's really the only one who can take on any sort of threat, which is a pretty crazy spot to be in. It's, yeah, it's certainly not going to work that way, but you got to give him that. And he certainly stands his ground, and some would say that's foolish, oh, but yeah. others would say that's perhaps brave. Enough. I call him brave. Yeah, he's the only one who can do it, and he do, he does it. I mean, at the same point, I would I would also state like brave, yes, but maybe you should have also moved out of the way because in case that, uh, in case the ship flattened you, I don't think it'd be bad because then who would protect the village if Ang wasn't coming back? Yeah, just explain what you mean there. Yeah, he's standing on top of like their big ice wall, and a giant warship comes and smashes through it, and Sokka stands his ground. I mean, again, steel against snow, so of course, like. <laughs> It's plowing through that like a dirt, like like a like a car with dirt against an anthill. Hey, he's got spirit. 
Even if he's a little bit foolhardy, he, he's got spirit. You got to give him that. Indeed. And I'm a big fan of the soccer. So, I mean, maybe that's why I'm backing well, up so fair. much here. But <laughs> No, absolutely. Uh, but I do really think it was a nice bit of juxtaposition for him because we, we just saw him as like such a jerk face at the start of this. So we're actually giving him it, something to do and or a moment, basically. Yeah. And it's it's good to kind of, yeah, good to give him some points as showing that he's actually like kind of a, a solid dude yeah just so we don't like get off on the wrong foot with him right at the start well here. he does have a stick up his butt he's he certainly can walk the walk as, as they say like when when the push comes to shove he's gonna do something yeah and really all of his jerkiness was kind of in a way for protection like he didn't want um katara to mess around with the water bending stuff too much and you wanted to like focus on hey we, what we got to do here is get food for our village and you know you're messing around with that weird magic crap and with the Avatar, or I guess he didn't know it was the Avatar, but here's this weirdo airbender who's shooting up this big signal like this could cause some problems. So we um, we get that more further down the line of why he was like that. But I, at least for now, what my this is what I can say that seems reasonable is that he's he's the only man in this, he's he accepts where he is and in, in his uh, he's he accepts his way of life, basically, and what he's been given. Uh, in that he has to, as the only like you know male, or at least you know a teenage male, or whatever you want to call it, uh, capable of like combat, basically, he himself certainly has to take it up uh, to to protect his his village, uh, and and is very much in line with the village and what Grand Grand says of of defending the village. And I will actually question this though. I'm surprised why. Didn't any of the other? Or maybe maybe they're just mothers, so I can't fully. Uh, I shouldn't say anything on that. But why weren't any of the other women uh, warriors? Uh, I'm wondering on that. At least trying to be warriors. That's that's a little interesting. Why we didn't have any female warriors instead? Yeah, I feel like that would have been nice to see. But I mean, they all have like these young kids. You look, they've all got kids next to them. I mean, they're they're kind of maybe not in really kind of peak fighting shape. Uh, probably not, but I would just again. <laughs> but that'd be better than just standing around. <laughs> I, it, it's not just standing around. It's just the fact like you feel almost the the men who were in the village went off to war. I hope that's not a spoiler. Uh, went off to war and said it the first episode. The men all went out to war, so you almost assume that either the women, some of the women would either take charge and you know learn some skills in, in in fighting and kind of bettering themselves while still trying to be you know supporting their children of course because they're still the moms but because uh, i just i feel like you, you you lose that one partner that's that's good for protection and i feel like you're gonna have to kind of step up as well just like well time to go on like full-on mama bear mode of like i'm like protecting my kids but I guess the other argument is that they didn't have anything other than maybe some animal attacks to worry about. Like as far as I'm aware, there was no other, again, except for one part, uh, future spoilers aside from another fire nation ship coming and invading their village. There was no other attacks from then till now. So again, I guess no need, whereas Sokka was the one that he has to prepared. So I don't know. Yeah. But aside from all that, um, Zuko and his troops, they exit the ship that just crashed right through over poor uh, Sokka. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and even though they come out, you know, heavily looking like actual soldiers, Sokka, brave or as stupid as he is, runs right up to them to defend his village. 
But immediately Zuko just kicks him aside and everybody just kind of cowers in just fear. Just like, what was it? He kick, First he kicks his uh, his his uh, club out of his hands and then like, while his kick is still in the air, or while his foot's still in the air, excuse me, he like, uh, knocks Zuko back with another kick. Which, if you're in, or soccer, if, if you're not in traditional martial arts, modern day martial arts, don't do that. Always put your leg back down, uh, so you can apply more power. That's probably if you could, you could snap it, obviously, to like get a kick. But like again, if you're going for power, do it the Muay Thai style and always bring your foot back down, even if that is traditional martial arts. But still, it's more of an effective thing. But whatever, I'm not gonna argue which is better. Just a point of contention right there. But anyway, uh, so yeah. Goes down there and then, well, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah, he grabs that grandma and says, hey, you guys seen any old men like this who might be the Avatar? And, uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, but he's about this age. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, at first we think she's going to be, um, she's going to be taken away. And, yeah, it's it's Grand Grand instead. And like, it's a joke. And what happens next, sir? Yeah, but um, after that, Sokka, he just keeps up the attack, and he almost ends up actually getting uh, Zuko with his bangerang, or I said get bangerang, <laughs> his boomerang. Well, I mean, that's... Yeah, the unintentional reference. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, and I like that one of the kids, after uh, Sokka's disarmed, throws him the spear and repeats Sokka's uh, show no fear mantra. Yep. I thought that was a cute little moment. Yeah, I like the way he destroyed his... Uh... Pardon me. I like the way he destroyed his spear, just like with two hands up, two hands down. I don't know what the move that is, but it's uh, his fighting style is based off of. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of give into this a little more. Uh, his fighting style is based off of Northern Shaolin, I believe, which I think had a lot of like high kicks and um, a lot of broad movements with the arms and whatnot. I'll probably say that. I'll get better <laughs> research on that later, but uh, that's one of those things that you'll see through there. Oh, sure, that'll be great. Yeah, but mostly Zuko just seems to treat Sokka as just kind of a nuisance. Like, he just pushes him aside, like, ah, whatever, this silly little whatever this thing is, trying to fight back. Yeah. But he doesn't get ticked off until Sokka's boomerang comes back and smacks him in the head, and then he fires up his hands. Yeah, just, like, throws it, set up, and then, wham! Like, right there. Yeah, then he fires up his hands and looks like he might actually just, like, execute Sokka right there or something. Like, he looks pretty... It's Hero Man on his trusty penguins. Yep, Chekhov's penguin. I wrote my notes. Yeah, takes out Zuko's legs. And I like the little exchange he has with Sokka here when Sokka thanks him for coming, which is kind of a nice flat delivery by Jack DeSena. I like that. But yeah, then Aang and Zuko face off, and Aang admits to the world that he is, in fact, the Avatar, which. Is a shock to everybody. Uh, I, I, I guess he, yeah, he did. Yeah, never mind. And uh, yeah, they begin some mild combat here. But Aang, he he mostly just pulls defensive moves. Like he, for whatever reason, maybe in fear of hurting the other villagers, he doesn't really strike back too much. Well, about that, um, you don't know if cut if you have to, but I forget the um, I forget the term or the I actually forgot the martial art uh not i think it, i think it's called bagua it's got a like much longer name but bagua is one of the styles is is the style of airbending and what it does it's it's very like sweeping 
a lot of sweeping movements and a lot of like foot movement as well. I mean, there's a lot of foot movement in martial arts. What am I saying? But the point of contention is that you're not so much attacking. You're mostly defending and Mm. very much also controlling the body. And we'll see that. We'll actually see a move. I think. And yeah, I think upcoming shortly uh, and in other episodes of Aang just controlling one's body, but like up close and personal, which kind of makes sense for airbending. I'll say that. But rarely will ang throw like a punch uh or a kick almost he'll oftentimes just like manipulate the air to do stuff for him yeah but i mean they're both i mean at least in terms of like a bending fight they're mainly using the elements that they have of course rather than actual physical blows well there's no physical blows as often and i kind of always wish that there were more physical blows in this show and Cora gets into that a little more i'll say that but what I'm referring to, of course, is the martial arts styles and uh, how they're doing range combat, basically. Yeah, but anyway, Aang, he, he realizes that this fight might get a little bit too dangerous for the village, and so he just surrenders. Collateral damage. Yeah, so they take off, and uh, I mean, look at this. Generations of family lines failures end up being Zuko's triumph here, and he proclaims that he's heading home with his uh, prize. Shh. Sure, but anyway, yeah. Well, at least in this moment, he probably feels like he's finally kind of uh, been a success. Yeah, it's like, wow, that was easy. Uh, But sometime later, Katara is, you know, she's just kind of sitting around doing some moping. And she decides to put her foot down and demand that something be done to help Aang. But our man with the plans already got his canoe prepped for the journey. And off they trot to rescue Katara's boyfriend. Well, correction, (laughs) not boyfriend. Um. But I'd say she has her Luke Skywalker moment of looking out into the sun, the distant sun. Well, if you want to draw that connection, I, I certainly I didn't see that. But she's looking out onto the horizon, so like, of course, that's that's a Luke thing, but anyway. <laughs> that's fair. Any horizon is definitely uh, Luke correlated, but <laughs> anyway, yeah. So correlated, anyway. Um, oh no, <laughs> ice puns. Anyway, a grand grand then comes and and approves of of this, which is interesting. Yep, yeah, that's nice. Telling her that she's uh, brought a new hope to the village. You know, I mean, a little bit more. Uh... <laughs> was Dave Filoni? Was he writing? Did he come in to ghostwrite these scenes? <laughs> good, good question. I have I have no idea. <laughs> uh, but conveniently, almost as a little joke to end the scene, uh, Katara says there's no way they're going to catch up to them in that little. Uh, canoe that Sokka's got and Sleepy Joe the Air Bison comes stumbling over a snow dune uh, just perfectly in time for them to uh, take him instead. Indeed. Um, But back on Zuko's now prison ship he separates Aang from his air staff claiming that it's going to be his gift for the Fire Lord later and uh, he's all going in about it rather somberly I thought too he didn't even really seem enthusiastic about any of this. Of course. So that was interesting. Like the moment of um like the moment where it's like, okay, what do we do with the staff? And it's like, take it to give it, give it to Iroh. And it's like, I was like, yeah, take this to my quarters. I'm like, all right, one of those jokes got it. Pretty funny. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Um, but uh, then we get an actually pretty awesome scene with um, Aang getting brought to his cell. Yep. And he says that he's going to, that they probably never fought an avatar before and that he's going to be able to take him. Uh, out. It wasn't an avatar. It was airbender actually. Airbender, sure. Which I gotta give that. I wish, I wish, um, unless they were looking at the some of the Avatar scrolls at the 
monasteries or not the avatars, but the airbending scrolls. Cause I assume again, like just like the something later on, pardon me. Uh, we find out an item. Let's put it that way. Uh, there's, I assume that there'd be scrolls that would show the moves. Cause again, everything is, there's no internet. There's no, there are books in this world, of course, but I assume that there'd be like we used to do. There'd be drawings of, of the various uh, uh, moves and positions that you would do for the martial arts. So either it was drilled into their minds, these fire lord benders, these fire nation troops, excuse me, to know, I don't know if that was ever the case, but to know what, how the airbenders fight or because they destroyed them all, there's no need, but these are new fire nation troops. So they might not remember how airbenders, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm getting across what I'm saying or what I mean, pardon me. You mean that they should be like, yeah, no, I don't think it would be in their cu curriculum to kind of prep on how to fight a airbender. Yeah. Cause there wouldn't be any real need for it. It certainly wouldn't. And to those uninitiated and don't know how it was, I feel like Aang would have an advantage if he again, knew what he was doing. And as far as I'm aware, again, maybe spoilers, but nothing has changed with fires, uh, firebenders techniques and moves. So that's almost the same as when Aang was, you know, a hundred years prior maybe yeah but he used pretty basic combat moves here he sucks in a long breath and he exhales with a burst of air that flings one of the guards right into a, a door in front of him and the other one just fires back with him you could say check off's like sneeze in a way eh? yeah i mean it's not really a sneeze but well, not sneeze but like the fact that we saw what happened when he sneezed and he like went was it 20 meters in the air or something like that? i mean not 20 meters in the air but like 10 meters in the air and he flies out of the little under deck and heads off to go find his staff yep. and uh over on the air bison cruise uh Sokka is very apathetically trying to convince appa to head for the air but i don't think he really even believes that appa can fly so he's just kind of doing it passively hey Sokka, say yip yip yeah and eventually he does just stumble on the words yip yip and they head off airbound which again i mean i just really want an appa stuffed animal he's such a cool design i love the yep. tail and the, the legs and he almost has like a bit of the cat bus uh, mixed with Totoro. Indeed. To him, but <laughs> um, but well, looking for his staff, Aang once again gets to show how cool it'd be to be an airbender. He's running circles around them up on the walls and he's leaping over everybody with barely any effort at all. Yeah. Eventually he finds his staff again, as well as a pretty violent, ready Prince Zuko. If, if you don't mind, I would like to talk about some of the, the action scenes uh, in this. Sure. Well, I kind of watching it again it ang feels like jackie chan i just realized that like, he feels like jackie chan in that he's always running about he, like he was tied up here and that kind of reminds me of some a situation that jackie chan would be in and unlike jackie chan who would use his environment i mean ang does use his environment to his advantage he has air for pit sakes but i like the fact that he never once throws a punch on these guys and like not that he could but <laughs> not that he could that's true but, I mean, he evades the guards, and ev evasion is what matters to him. He doesn't care about honor. He just cares about, like, you know, getting his staff and getting out of there, which is nice. Um, I always like that, that he doesn't have the mentality that kind of most aggressive men nowadays have, where it's like, you insulted me, so I have to beat you up to, uh, w whether it's physical or verbal uh, or emotional. I have to beat you up to, like... Um, I guess regain my name or whatnot, or to, for you to take back that insult or something like that, or to get even with you. I don't know. Uh, kind of like that. I mean, obviously he's still a kid, so he might not know that fully. Well, he's a monk for crying out loud, but 
I just like the fact that he, when he's ha- has his hands tied behind his back, and then he like goes up against that one fire uh, firebender and uses his spiked helmet to cut his uh, handcuffs free or his ropes free, and also take the guy down unintentionally. And yeah, I think that was a pretty cool scene. And then we also see him like going through each room, and I also just realized that's sort of Chekhov's ship because now he knows. Again, that the he knows how the ship uh, is is laid out, layout, and yeah. goes through him, and it's like, all right, that was, that, was, that was pretty smart. That's pretty subtle. And walks into not walks into, but goes into Ira's room, or at least opens the door of Ira's room, and is like closes it, you know, quietly. Is like sorry in a very like animated, typical, uh, typical animated uh, joke gag of like his his mouth being larger, longer than it should be. <laughs> Yeah, but eventually he, him and Zuko get into a fight over the staff, or not not so much over the staff, but over the fact that he's managed to escape. Yep. Um, but once again, Aang is kind of pushed more to a defensive role. Yeah. In, mostly just flying around the room. In one, uh, in one scene, you'll see him go right behind Zuko's back and like put his hands to his spine. That is absolutely a standard move of, or a, I don't know, a signature move, but certainly one of the forms that they teach in Bagua, I believe. It's not Bagua. What is it? I don't remember. But anyway. Yeah, and eventually he manages to get his staff and just starts slapping him around the Oh, yeah, room. we also see him, the first instance of the air scooter. Pardon me. Yep, which is cool. I'd like to see that. Not to be a goof, but he he he, he tries spinning on uh, Zuko, and I'm like, oh, golly, that's... Uh, <laughs> don't want to go there, but... Yeah, but he manages to escape the cabin, and now that he's got his staff, he just wants to get out of there. And he leaps out. Oh yeah, the and top. he's also using some of the environment to his advantage. First, he uses one ban- He uses a banner against him, and then he literally just. I I don't know why we haven't done. I, sorry, but as far as I'm aware, I don't think he uses this again. But he actually uses the air away from him to push uh, a mattress right onto him, which would be pretty useful in some other parts of the future episodes. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember if that comes back. Yeah. Uh, but he just barely missed his chance at escape yep. as this very determined uh, fire prince leaps out behind him and pulls him back down to the deck. Absolutely. Yeah, and the fight is lost and Aang ends up getting fired overboard. And once again, we find him falling into the Avatar state. Goes right into the drink and is like, oh boy. We, we, we see that whole... Yep. Uh, Oh, whoops. Uh, we, we, we see that kind of like fight or flight response uh, self-preservation come by. Yeah, because he's like completely out of it, just sinking to the depths, and eventually that avatar state just kicks yeah, in. Exactly. Jeez, like I forgot that Zuko was like pretty aggressive on him. It's like you just, for all you, you know, you kind of killed the avatar. It's like, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, bring his corpse back. If, well, it doesn't matter because he's now going to be an, uh, a waterbender at that point. So yeah, but that also goes to show um, how uncontrolled even uh, Zuko is like all these people are dealing with the fact that they don't really have uh, a good grasp on their powers. Well, yeah, we, we see, you know, avatar state and just, Oh yeah. No. And just takes a bunch of water and knocks them all down. Yeah. And once again, we see him falling very weak afterwards. Um, Some other soldiers show up and Katara gets her chance to fight back using her water bending abilities. Yeah. But she's got some directional issues at the moment and she, fires the water behind her and freezes Sokka again to the uh, the deck. It's all about the movements. <laughs> all about this it's the form is what counts kind of. You have to really get that form in. 
Yeah, so she turns around and fires the water from behind her, which freezes all them. Yeah. I guess this is also, I just realized, the rescue uh, on the Death Star. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah. Okay, we also have a little uh, payoff, almost, of when Zuko was, like, you know, poking Sokka with the stick, or his broken spear. And so now when Sokka goes to retrieve Aang's stick, Zuko is holding onto the stick, and he just starts poking him and gets him off. And, and uh, I think one of his catchphrases throughout the series is like stuff about water tribe and he he mentioned something about water tribe and probably because they're like very uh they're the underdogs basically so they certainly are i'll say that they're you don't <laughs> see as many waterbenders in the world uh, as opposed to like earthbenders but anyway zuko is still holding on the, the anchor and yeah and we see the soldiers get up and yeah here's where katara has her moment of like oh crap we just had water get like we got annihilated by water it's like oh maybe we have a chance yeah, so Iroh, uh, he comes out, woken up from his nap, just as uh, they're flying away, and him and Zuko pair up together to fire off one blast to try to stop them from escaping. Yeah. But Aang just grabs his staff and uses it kind of as a baseball bat and slams the fire right into the iceberg. <laughs> a typical move in certain uh, animations of taking the wind and literally like shooting or deflecting uh, other attacks away from it. And- Standard move, I'll say that. Yeah, but after that scene, we get a little bit of a kind of a quiet little reprieve here at the end where our group is all flying off and Katara tries to get a little bit of some insight into um, how Aang did his waterbending moves, but Aang's got no real answer here. He's, you know, he, he doesn't really remember what happened when he goes into the Avatar state, it seems like. I did what now? And she asks him why he didn't tell them before that he was the Avatar. And Aang says it was because he never wanted to be, you know, typical uh, Campbellian. Never wanted the uh, the hero's role or whatever. I didn't want this life. There was, I, I, I did not want it. It was put upon me and I'm put upon about it, basically. Yeah, and she tells him that the world's been waiting for the Avatar turn to put an end to the war. But he's got no clue how he's supposed to do that. But she says uh, he has to learn how to master the four elements to do it. And what better way to start than picking up back on Katara's original plan by heading to the South Pole so that they can both be trained together in waterbending. The, the, the South Pole? Did I say South Pole? I meant North Pole. Right. <laughs> I mean, that'd be cool if it was a reverse instead of like, you know, just because in, in the real life North Pole, there's barely any like land up there anyways, whereas the South Pole has massive amounts of land. That's true. Yep wasteland actually would have liked it i know it would have probably not mattered but it would kind of be awesome if this place had the reverse of of north pole i mean right now in this century right now at this point the earth is still pointing north like the magnetic pole is north and not south and we haven't had a geomagnetic reversal yet so i wait the day when that happens but it's not going to be it's going to be past my lifetime i'll say that yeah that's fair Uh, but we get one little last bit here because like uh, any good tourist Aang's got a series of sights that he'd like to see on his way to the North Pole, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> such as uh, surfing on some giant koi fish and harassing some poor, uh, unsuspecting monkeys. So always keeping it lighthearted, even in the aftermath of a darker moment for them. Everybody's going surfing, surfing on koi fish. Yeah, but then we got a really cool shot of Appa along like a big skyline, which I always love those shots. I'd love to have one, like a piece of art on my wall. Oh, of course. Just Appa soaring. But, but yeah, that's how we end uh, the second chapter of what I wrote to my notes. Apparently, Avatar The Legend Begins. I don't know why I wrote that. 
Eh, it could be. Yeah, who knows why I write things sometimes. <laughs> I mean, that you could honestly count this as like the pilot, but or they could call the pilot that. Yeah, but so that's uh, the first two episodes. I mean, this has been a fairly long, in-depth episode. I hope you all enjoy that. Um, Indeed. <laughs> yeah, but uh, any and last kind of thoughts or any final thoughts on those two episodes before we close out the episode? Let's see here. A good, a good, again, like I said, a very good starting point. A lot of payoffs, I'll say that. There's a lot of setups and payoffs, and you, you, you do certainly have to, like, spoilers, there are other parts. And when I say parts, there's also other um tying episodes to each other later mm-hmm. on where there's like part one and part two and this certainly is part one and part two but they separated them in different titles so that's and that's totally fine uh so treat it as that and again there's there's set up and payoff here uh again just giving us more and and it, it's it is the start of a road trip show but not yep. in like the comedy. I mean, it, it, it does kind of start off as a joke in a way of like, he wants to go visit all these other regions. Uh, and, and yeah, again, it kind of, I, I think like you said, he kind of like redirects the fact that he has to be a, like, yeah, yes, he should probably go straight to the North pole and, and see, and, and just like, you know, focus only on uh, his, his instructions only on getting like right yeah like right now he should either uh i don't know if there's a problem with going out of order i forget if i think there might be a you have to do it in in the order of the elements just because that way you learn one after the other and actually that does make sense because fire is the hardest to control because of what kind of like energy source you're using yeah it could also just be convenience of the location that he's in that 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 too I can't remember if they really get into the details of how uh, necessary the order is, though. But I guess we'll find out. Yeah. So from a so from a practical perspective, yeah, he probably should just go and master all the elements and not take in any culture whatsoever and be very utilitarian. But is that ever a good idea to be utilitarian? Yes. <laughs> it's probably a smart <laughs> to be utilitarian. Okay, fair point. But the series is this anyway. Should he have just gone and devoted all his time to studying? Uh, yes and no. Um, I think I, I, I still prefer the road trip and learning about culture and learning about the history of, of what's going on. I think that's, that is an important statement to do. Uh, really a, a really good job for, of showing, well, again, what's to come really good job of showing kids what, like what a war torn place looks like in a way. I'll say that. Well, I don't know about this episode. I mean, we don't really see any war torn I know that's kind of spoiler, my bad, but again, we certainly saw what it's like for a small village in South Pole where nothing happens around there. Yeah, good use of world building. Even though we're not seeing the war-torn aspect of the world, we still get the indication that there's a whole lot more kind of darkness out there that we're not seeing in this kind of isolated little spot that we're starting off in. The episode does absolutely do what every pilot should do, is it leaves you wanting more, and not in a... Not in a nowadays like, oh, what's the term? I don't even remember it anymore because I try to purge it from my mind. But not in a like, they're not going for they're not going for those those money shots or whatnot. They're going for they're, these guys are trying to tell a story. And yeah, it it this episode certainly left me wanting more. Like just oh man, like again, it's so hard to not to look at this these two episodes in a vacuum like I did when I was a kid, and not just go like oh what are we gonna see along the horizons? 
that's why it's going to be fun doing this show. It's a brand new kind of exercise for us. I mean, I guess you said this already, but it is absolutely appropriate that we start with this episode because it is about a new world, basically. Well, in the day it was, but like a brand new world and looking at the horizon and what's to come. And that's symbolic of what we are now, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't wish to be like, well, we've been doing this podcast and game for a while. It's exciting to be doing something completely uh, new for us. It's not so much like, I don't want to sound like goofier up my own behind, but it kind of sounds like that. Hey, it's all good. There's nothing wrong with being a little bit, uh, I don't know what the word is, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, my final thoughts. I thought it was a great opening for this series. I love the setting. I think they did a great job balancing the tone. I think all the characters pop pretty well. I think you get a good sense of all the characters as well, like kind of where they're positioned and what they're going to do in the rest of the series. Zuko is very clearly set up as the antagonist, but an antagonist who's not just a straight up bad guy, like he's clearly got some kind of inner turmoil going on there. I like that Aang is, you know, he, he doesn't just completely deny all the seriousness that's going around him. Like he addresses it when it's necessary, but he's also keeps that kind of childlike wonder for the world. So I, th I think there's a lot of, it's a great set up for the the series i think this these first two episodes yeah it leaves a lot for all these characters and even the even the antagonist because we certainly i don't know if when you first saw zuko if you if you kind of figured if he was going to be developed or not or if he was going to like stay the way he is but it certainly leaves all the characters open for development which is the point yeah i didn't know if this was going to be one of those shows where each season has its own villain Oh, but yeah. I certainly could tell right from the start that, you know, there's there's more than just, uh, you know, stereotypical. He's not just another kind of like a Sailor Moon villain <laughs> where there's just some guy who shows up and he's like, I'm going to be the baddie for the next 20 episodes. Villain of the week and or villain of the season. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, it's always nice when you can like do that. Again, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. We probably shouldn't be talking about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. But... Except for spoilers, <laughs> but... <laughs> you know, I, we again, I sincerely, sincerely pardon me for apologizing all the time, but apologize if I am like, I, I don't know how I do this without like in a vacuum. I don't know how I could see this like enclosed of I've only seen two episodes so far and that's it. Uh, but, you know, what did you guys think of the episode? You know, write in Nat again, whatever it says in the description, but <laughs> send a send a vocal email instead of you don't have to always type stuff. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you have Instagram. I don't know if you could send stuff from instagram like videos of you just being like sending a one minute or 30 second or i don't know how long i honestly don't know the socials the internet socials but you know just <laughs> something you can do a video instead of just like writing it because how often do people do that of just like request to their viewers of like <laughs> or listeners excuse me of like oh yeah send us a either an, send us an audio clip if you want of what you thought of it or send us a video of what you thought of it i don't know be unique in your own way of, of how you send things and send us an open letter. If you want at this postal service office, I don't know. Yeah. And if you want to send in voice clips, we can easily just tag it onto the episode in the end. So again, if you have something to say, I swear we are not desperate. No, it's a fun way to uh, reach out to the audience. I used to my favorite podcast of all time, which I blatantly ripped off for our um, teeny speakeasy episodes for the novice podcast. But the TARDIS Tavern, I used to write into that show all the time, and they would just read out the uh, my emails um, at the end of the episode. Yes, all the messages that you were sending them. 
Yeah, among many other people who would write into that show, is a popular. It's a popular thing for podcasts to do. I guess a standard thing of thing, read uh, out. especially if you're on like Twitch, for instance, where you'll always read the responses of people. Uh, whereas this, we always we always do enjoy. It. We but yeah, you can criticize us as well if you wish, or at least you can criticize me. I don't know about how you, how you would feel, but <laughs> I certainly will take the criticism. Yeah, if you have any uh, comments on how you think we could better do these episodes, uh, sure, send us an email. I'd be happy to take it under advisement. Yeah, cancel it. Like, okay, maybe not that <laughs> one. <laughs> you can always just not wa- listen to us. That's what I often do. If I don't like something, I'm just going to not watch it anymore and not uh, boycott it. That's well, fair. I'll maybe semi-boycott it, but anyway. I would mind reading out some mail. Uh, yeah, just mail. Yeah, so, yeah, it, if you guys feel like sending something in, sure, send it in, and uh, hope you check out the rest of our shows. Send it by Carrier Hawk. <laughs> but uh, any last words, or should we close her all down? Go out there, folks. Get on your gliders. Learn airbending first before you do that. I mean, well, you can go parasailing. You can go hang gliding and whatnot. That'd be cool. I wish that we had the, more of that where Aang was on a parasailing uh, on, the, on the ocean. That'd be kind of cool. But I guess it's more of a... Well, it's kind of a combination, because... <laughs> So there is a gray area between like what element, like combinations of elements, which I'm, they certainly go into in this show. Certainly, not often, but I wish they had that. Maybe in the next series, we'll see that. Mm, yeah, we'll see. But anyway, yeah, take uh, take flight, boys, girls, and all those in between, and catch you later in the next episode. Peace. <laughs>
because of on their part. So I, I, I don't know. No, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, limited. I mean, waterbenders too. I mean, if they weren't around water, they'd be in pretty rough shape for using their abilities. Well, good thing the <laughs> Earth in this case, I think it's actually called, well, I mean, not Earth, but good thing the planet. I wish they, there probably is a name for this planet, but I, I don't know. Uh, I would, ho- I wish there was a planet. They call the, the, the email in <laughs> exactly <laughs> whatever it is in the description because I don't know the email. Oh address. yeah, I guess not. Um, <laughs> doesn't always have to be an email, but whatever. Uh, but uh, you, you know, on this planet, I assume that it's still covered in seventy percent of water. Yeah, yeah, I assume so too. And again, most waterbenders and water tribes would stay close, close or near to are on the water, so. Hopefully one day uh, in the near future, if we get another series, we can finally see a underwater water tribe. Oh, that'd be fascinating. Oh, man. But more oh, on that man, later. Got me so pumped. More on that later. Yeah, more on that later. I mean, that and I'd also love to see. Actually, my, my hope would be something similar to Bioshock Infinite, where we have airbenders in a uh, in a sky fortress of some sort of sky city. Oh, that'd be super cool, too. Exactly. Oh, man. Anyway, um, sorry. But, continue uh, on. Yeah, could you imagine if they did a series way off in the future with these abilities? I mean, after Korra, like, I think it's uh, let's uh, let's put it this way: I, I just gave myself ideas for my fan fiction. But anyway, yeah, they could do a modern series, which would be interesting. But well, yes, but anyway, yeah, we're sorry. we're, we're sorry. going way Stop off. Stop speculating. Now. <laughs> Stop speculating. We'll save this for Korra, <laughs> which we'll forget about because it'll be like three months down the line. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure it'll be a lot longer than three months, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Let's see here. And you don't have to do the if you thing this time uh, around if you don't feel like it for the show. Say, you're you're kind of like strongly suggesting I don't, but... No, no, it's it's up to you. I mean, I I know sometimes you're like, I don't know what to say for these, and I feel like I put you on the spot. Yeah, well, so. that's fair. Uh, sometimes being on the spot leads to something you randomly don't know 